0: So the reading is Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: 19, it's, um, you can see the main point I've suggested here for the psalm is the speaking creator Brings about a response. And just as we get going, we have, there's basically five kind of key things I want to share with you about the psalm, and then I'll pray, and then we'll really get going on it. So, five things for you. It was written by King David, so that was about um, 3,000 years ago, um, about 1,000 years before Jesus. The law that David refers to here is just the first five books of the Bible. So we have 66 books now in our Bible, but he's just talking about the first five books because I've discovered as I've been preparing that that was all he had, that's all he's referring to. So you might like to ask a question about that. Matt, does what it says here apply to the whole Bible? Is the whole Bible good for us? Might be something you want to ask about. Psalm 19 is similar to Psalm 119, Um, The middle section there that talks about how wonderful God's Word is. And if you've never read Psalm 119, I'd encourage you to do that this week. You might want to take more than a week. It's very long. But it's a delight. Um, And the big themes in this psalm, they crop up elsewhere in the Bible. So let me pray and then we'll really get stuck in. Father in heaven, we thank you that we have gathered here today. And we thank you that it's going to be around your Word Please help us now to pay attention to what it says. And also help me as I try to explain the many delights herein. Amen. So our first point is this. Creation communicates, but who hears? Creation communicates, but who hears? And what the psalm does at the beginning is, it zooms in on just one aspect of creation. And that one aspect is the sky or the heavens above. You see, day or night, we can see the sky. So, we have revealed to us part of God's purposes for the skies and the heavens. Uh, Notice first how creation communicates in these first four verses that will appear behind me. You see, in every minute of every day, uh, the skies communicate. And they say God is glorious. But glorious and glory, they're not everyday words, are they? Um, they're not words that we use in our everyday language. And while we might, might say it and know it, I just wanted to just sort of say a bit about what they mean, because I struggle when I see that. I go, oh yes, to the glory of God. And if I stop myself, I think, I know that's the right thing to say when I'm around other Christians, and, but I'm not sure what it's about. So it basically, it means this, it means famous or a big deal. Or it means to be greatly admired. So verse 1, the heavens seriously say that God is to be admired or to be looked up to. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Now proclaim or announce, that means there's no, I'm sorry I didn't hear what you said there. Night after night they reveal knowledge. You see, we see the skies and they communicate that God is glorious. But who hears? Well, verses 3 and 4, they actually point us to all people groups of the earth. Everyone, every person on earth has or will have access to see the sky day or night. And actually, all the time, the skies and the heavens are proclaiming God is glorious. So who hears? Everyone. To hammer the point home, we actually have it repeated in a similar way again, and this time, it's the sun that is our communicator. in the second part of verses four to six, which you'll be able to just see over my shoulder here. You see, the sun, nothing and no one can escape. It's searching, scorching heat. Ice melts, rain dries up. Even shade warms up. Nothing escapes. And so as creation communicates, everyone hears. Now, what does that actually look like in the lives of of you and me, if we've got a head around that big idea? Well, a few thoughts to share with you. And the first one is this. The sky, the sun, the moon, and the stars, they serve as a reminder to the believer that God is to be honored. And being frank, the Christian doesn't honor God when we complain about the weather okay? It's his creation. It's his sky. It's his blazing sun. It's his rain clouds. They're his good purposes with the weather, not mine. You see, God's big and I'm small. A second thought for us. The theme of heavens and skies, they run through the Bible. And when you just read through as you pick through, just notice it and just pick it up and just start to join up those themes in your head. I just want to do one of those with us together now. Jesus said this when he was teaching his, what his followers would do. Uh, quote, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun to shine on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. End quote. They're seriously challenging words to the believer. um, But by obeying, the believer will be like their heavenly father. You know, the child takes on the characteristic of the parent. You see, even uh, to those who we might think of as evil or unjust... Uh, God the Father is still kind enough to provide rain and sunshine for them so that they can live in his world. Do you know, in in Luke's gospel, it's striking that just as Jesus, he's being nailed to the cross, Luke records. He's being murdered. His enemies are there (laughs) surrounding him, nailing him to the cross. And he prays these words. You see, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. You see, as well as being like his father, Jesus is no hypocrite. And it's one of the reasons that I follow him. He does what he says he'll do. A final thought about um, these verses here before we move on. Um, And this is actually more directed towards the person who's not yet a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I go running occasionally with a friend of mine and One summer's evening as we were out running, uh, it was a nice sky, uh, and I said to my friend, uh, the heavens declare the glory of God, just as a throwaway line, because that was what was welling up in my heart as we were running and enjoying the beauty around us. Um, I had hoped it would stimulate some conversation. He offered back to me some, um, some other suggestion. You know, I said, what a great way to communicate the skies, you know. And he offered back to me that it was beautiful, but he wasn't sure about the rest. Well, that's the nature, isn't it, of chatting and wanting to share our faith with others. There's disappointments along the way, and so we must pray on. But actually... Do you know that the Bible actually explains for us why we get that non-response? Why my friend doesn't acknowledge the creator when he sees the creation. Let me just share a little bit from a letter that was written to some of the very first Christians in the city of Rome. So about a thousand years after this psalm was written. Let me read this to you. The wrath of God's being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God's plain to them because God's made it plain to them for or because since the creation of the world God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature they have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made You see, the creation points us to the Creator so that people are without excuse. Skip on a few verses, and it says this, it continues. They swapped or exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshipped and served, created things, rather than the Creator, who's forever praised our men. You see, the big point is, God has made it completely plain in creation to understand that he is eternally powerful and people are not. That he is God and therefore people are not God and that people, instead of being servants to the creator God or living with him as master, they become servants of something of their own choosing from within the creation Now, I'm going to explain a bit more on that later, but the idea of serving creation or serving God is something you might want to ask a question about if that's new to you. You see, these three things that I've just shared there about eternally powerful God, He's God, and that we inherently, we want to actually worship the creation rather than the Creator, it was true in the time of the psalm, it's true in the time of this letter being written, and it's true now. And God is angry about our response and the way that we push down inside of us the truth that God is to be served and worshipped. So that's the end of our first point. Creation communicates, but who hears? Now, just before I get us to our second point, I just want to point out something that hopefully, was blindingly obvious to you. But if it wasn't, and it wasn't to me as I got going on this, um, I just want to show you something. So in verses 1 to 6, God is called God. Okay. Now, that's why I think it's slightly tongue-in-cheek amusing. But in verses, the next verses, 7 to 11, he's called Lord in capital letters. There's a shift here. And, And if you didn't know this, the shift from being God the maker of all and creator... So being Lord, capital letters, or Yahweh, that is to show that it's the promise-keeping, Bible word for that's covenant or contract-keeping, God, talking to his people. He's spoken unto them specifically. And this next part describes those words that he's spoken to them. So our second point is this. The Lord commands and his people totally or completely benefit they totally benefit from what he says now this is the bit that I used to get at camp persuading me encouraging me to read the bible uh, when I was there each year and um, I used to be a I mean I still am but um, it's about me when I read the bible if I'm not careful and I'd be a consumer so I'd see the law of the lord's perfect okay Reviving the soul. I want some of this, I would say to myself. You know, the statutes of the Lord are perfect and whatever the next bit is. I would latch on to the effects it had on me and I would never really pay too much attention to those first bits. Law of the Lord, I think I know what that means. Statutes, no idea. But I, I did some work for us ahead of time. Law of the Lord, statutes of the Lord, precepts, commands, ordinances, they're all authority or command words. So these first five verses, they show us actually two things. Sorry, these next five verses, they show us two things. The first is the characteristics of God's revelation of the Bible and and the whole Bible. And the second thing is the effects upon the believer. And I'm just going to go through them just one at a time. We did this this morning, and I thought it would be pretty tiresome. But actually, somebody very kind came to me afterwards, not related to me. And they said, they said, Matt, that was really helpful. It was really helpful to just take it a step at a time. So I suggest, as I did this morning, take a breath, get comfy, because we're just going to go through a piece at a time with this. So verse 7, it says, the, um, the characteristic of God's revelation is, the law of the Lord is perfect Now, the law there, it means God's revealed or shown will, what God wants to be happening. It's perfect. Now, who else's desires and will is perfect? Nobody's is. It's all flawed. But the effect on the believer of God's perfect law is it revives the soul. Now the law's been in and out of the news with COVID and coronavirus and this and that. Wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Wash your hands for 30 seconds, no 20 seconds. To me, all that they feel overbearing on us, don't they, laws? But actually, God's law doesn't do that. It revives the soul. I mean, it's just wonderful. Verse 7 continues, the statutes of the Lord, the characteristic is that they are trustworthy. Now, a statute simply means a contract or a covenant. And in this day and age, actually, um, taking people at their word is hard to do. But actually, God's word is trustworthy. And the effect on us is it makes the simple wise, Verse 8, the characteristic is the precepts of the Lord are right. Now, a precept basically means a very precise authority that God is addressing us here with. And if you've ever read through the Bible, there's some things that God's crystal clear on for the believer, and there's some things where it's a wisdom choice. So the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. Oh, no, we've done that bit, sorry. The precepts of the Lord are right, um, and there's no wriggle room on what he, he says is the case. It's not like, and I'm sure none of you children here have ever done this, but where you push and you challenge your parents' authority. But mum, you said, dad, you promised. They just push back on the authority. Um, but actually, God's precepts, they're right, and they give joy to the heart Children, when you're busy doing something, a mum and dad have given you the five-minute warning. Sorry, children and young people, include our teenagers. um, Sorry. Um, When you're asked to do something that isn't what you want to do, does it give you a joy in your heart? And, you know, I can read your faces easy enough. And I'm just like, oh, come on. But we see, actually, the precepts of the Lord are right, and they give joy to the heart. second part of verse 8 says... The commands of the Lord are radiant. And that idea of command is this precise authority we're addressed with. They're radiant. And the effect on us is they give light to our eyes. They help us see and understand the world around us. Now, verse 9, I think, is actually just an effect. This side, an effect. Um, And it's this. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. You see, the Bible points us to the lawgiver like the creation points us to the creator. We then have verses 9, 10, and 11. And we see some statements about how awesome and how delightfully good God's word is. Uh, we, have, um, we have this. The, um, the ordinances of the Lord sure. Now, an ordinance is a, a judicial decision. Guilty or not guilty. Um, those of you still in school... When you're playing, there will have been some time that you've fallen out, and you go and see a grown up about it, and you want them to make a fair decision. Not at me if you know what I'm talking about. So and so has pushed you over playing, or they've said an unkind word to you, or they've been winding you. And you think, right, we need to go and see a grown up, you know? Not at me if you've had those moments at school. Yeah? Because you all have them. And you go and you want your teacher to be fair. You want the person looking after you on the playground or dinner lady or whoever it. You want them to be fair to be just. Well, this word here, ordinances, what that means is God's decisions about what's fair or not fair, who's guilty or not guilty, that He's recorded in those first five books of the Bible, they're sure. He gets it right. They're altogether righteous you see that's talking about god's just decisions and they are more precious than gold than much pure gold sweeter than honey than honey from the comb by them is your servant warned and in keeping them there's great reward you see god's word it is just so good and it's no wonder that david wrote a song about it now just before we move on just have a look behind me at verse 11 Can you see he says, by them your servant is warned? It's really important that we latch on to this here because the contract keeping God's relationship with his people here is one of servant and master. It might sound a bit old fashioned in today's day and age. You know, we all want to be the master, don't we? We talk about chiefs and Indians and that kind of thing. You know, we all want to be in charge. But actually, it's not old-fashioned. I just want to take a step back sort of from the psalm, but just to dig into this servant-master idea. Did you know that all of us, we serve something or someone? You see, the motives or the loves, the passions of our heart, they're captivated, they're pursuing, they're chasing after either the Lord, the Creator, or Something in creation. So it might be, and here's some examples, and just see if any of these resonate with you. If you think, do you know, I just wonder if that's what I spend a lot of time thinking about, what I want to put a lot of my energies into. It might be our appearance. So that could be how we look, it could be how we dress. It could be how we present ourselves online, the things we want to share, the things we wish our friend hadn't shared, and all of those kinds of things. It could be our own bodies. You know, we want to have, I'm gonna enjoy saying this, we wanna have the nice straight hair. <laughs> I'll just go for the hair. But it could be that. It could be um, you wanna be at the gym, you wanna be working out, you wanna look all this and that. You look at other people and think, oh, I wish I was like them. So that could be something that actually you serve, but it's it's, It's deep down in your subconscious. You don't realize it, but actually you spend so much time and energy on that. It could be, and it's wonderful, traveling through school because you're always looking ahead to the next thing. It could be your hopes for your future, what GCSE decisions you might make, even what secondary school you think you might go to, what A-levels you do if you want to go to university. If you want to not go to university and get started in a career, and you hope and you look forward and you dream, and everything you're doing is about that dream. Well, beware that you don't just serve everything in there because while they're good things to pursue, it's actually God that we should be serving. Two others for you. It could be a hobby. It could be that you have a great love of, I don't know, uh, my children are very into cricket at the minute. We absolutely love it. They love playing, we have a really good time. And, uh, you know, if they started saying to me, Daddy, we need to go and practice playing cricket. I want to play for England one day. it's a fantastic aspiration to have. For me, as as the parent, I just want to keep a check on that desire, that love for them. And the last one is relationships. I just want to flesh that one out a bit more because um, I imagine that quite a few of you sat out there might be interested in one day perhaps getting married. Okay? You might think, I would like to be married one day. And, it, and if that's you, I'm mean, i I'm a junior school teacher, so my youngest children at the school I work at are seven, and they, they have pretend weddings on the playground. <laughs> so I, I, you, you might say, that's not me, but come on, it could be you. Um, what could happen is, if, if this is the big thing that you're pursuing, if this is, you're the servant to this dream, I mean, the fairy tales do it for us, don't they? You get married, they live happily ever after. But actually, married life is the rest of your grown-up life, and you see it as a a goal and a destination. So what are some of the things that you do? Well, you try and make yourself look attractive. Uh, You try and spend time getting to know about the other person. You think about them a lot. You might practice your signature with their surname, okay? I'm on to you. Uh, you might do that. Um, you look at, maybe, maybe you're slightly older, and maybe some of your friends are getting married, and you look at the, in the wedding dress shop and you look through the cat and you start, oh, I'd like that dress, or I'd like this. Now, getting married is a good thing, but having it as a driving force through everything that you're doing, it becomes like you're all, you become totally consumed with it. And instead of it being a good thing, once you're married, actually, you can be hit with huge disappointment. Because God is meant to be our master, and we're meant to serve him. He created marriage before the fall, so it's like gold-plated. It's brilliant. So I just say, just beware of that, of the idea of you just pursue something at the expense of everything else. And just on the relationship thing, something I wish I'd heard... When I was much younger, is be careful with the idea of the relationships and the marriage thing. That you don't latch onto the idea of being liked and just the idea of being like that, rather than the person themselves. You see, um, so you want to, you know you set your your ideal rather than actually being in that moment. Um, and I just think that sort of run from age seven or younger up to if you get married, and it's an if. Um, Just bear that in mind. It can become overbearing for you. And instead, and I found this out, I wish I'd known this when I was much younger, is you you pray to the Lord. You say, Lord, I think I'd like to be married one day. Help me through this. And it's great, because you don't want to discuss your relationships with your mum and dad. So you discuss it with the person who knows you better than you know yourself. And you just pray about it. That would be my suggestion. Now, why have I shared that with you? Because in Psalm 19, which isn't about marriage, but it has something to do with what we serve, it says this, by keeping them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there's great reward. Um, Choose God's way, choose to have him as your master. Just, um, Just briefly, one last bit on this. Jesus says this, he says, take up your cross and follow me. He lays out the cost. He lays out the consequence of following. It. it is hard being Christian. But he says this too. He shows you the reward. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. That was the, the um, bit of farm equipment that went over the animals for them to tow it. So Jesus is saying, I'm like the farmer, and you're going to put this over you. You're going to do the work for me. Um, and learn from me, take my yoke, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. That is what we're all looking for. For my yoke's easy, my burden is light. See, nothing else in this world shows you the consequence. It just offers you the dream. If you look wonderful, people will fall at your feet and do whatever you want. It doesn't tell you the disappointment and the cost behind that. Nobody tells you that uh, you know, becoming married, you just change one set of issues for another set of issues. You know there's great joy in being single, there's great joy in being married. Um, but Jesus, He lays out the consequences ahead of time. So in our second point, what we 've seen is that it's the Lord that commands and his people completely benefit from that. Just finally, and, and very briefly, um, uh, the third point, um, as we get going with this, is um, it 's the humble response. You see, both the Lord's word and creation, they create one response for David as he writes this psalm, and it's the humble response. We have the verses at the end here, and we we could expect David to say, so I will do what the law says because it will revive my soul. I will listen to your commands, and I shall go forth and be joyful in... He doesn't do that. What he does and what he says here uh, is on the board behind me. You see, his encounter with creation and the Lord's word... They just make him realize how full of error he is by comparison. He knows his faults. He even knows there's faults he doesn't know about, if you look carefully at what it says. You see, David sees and he knows how good keeping his Lord's word is, but he doesn't try to work harder doing them. Instead, he throws himself down in prayer, one imagines. He seeks help. He definitely seeks help. We can see that there because he knows he's helpless. Forgive my hidden faults, says David, because I can't undo them. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me because I am powerless over them. Then I'll be blameless, innocent of great transgression, great wrongdoing. See, the great news of the Lord that we see here is that it's all the Lord who takes us on. It's all him who welcomes us in. Now, David calls the Lord his rock, his stable, his unbreakable place. And he also calls him his redeemer. Now, to redeem something is to buy it back. David knows, and a great many of us here today know the very joy of being bought Back, We know we've wandered off. And we get bought back. We get welcomed into his family. And what did it cost God to buy us back? I mean he's God. Everything is his already. Well he bought us back by swapping the perfect Jesus. For us. The imperfect. Fault filled. Self serving. Wretch. Now. I hope some of you are sat there today and actually you don't know what I'm talking about. If that is you and you think, what? I would love it if at the end of the service you were to chat to Aaron, to Hannah, to me. Better still, chat to the person who brought you along to St. Mary's. That would be really, really good. Let's just take a moment's quiet and then I'll pray. Oh Lord, please uh, set your your word deep within us. Help us see.
2: Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for all of your questions and votes. Um, we're going to try and see how many of these we can get through in a short space of time. Um, you good? You on? Yeah, I'm just to... cracking. All right. Um, I'll read the first question. So the first question. Um, is any idea why the Psalms are sometimes in the first person and sometimes about others? It seems to make it more tricky to follow.
1: Yeah, so thank you very much for all of your questions. They've really pushed me to think. I wish the song had been longer, and I had <laughs> hoped by doing a long talk we'd have less time for questions. Um, so, yeah, so if you notice the songs that we sing at church, if I take, I know they're not the Psalms, although some are. Some of them are for us to sing together as people, and they teach us truths about the Lord. And I think we see that in the Psalms too, which is the ones where it's plural and they're ones for God's people to sing. There'll be other times and there'll be other songs that you might have at home and they put you in the first person and that you'll sing and that you'll enjoy listening to. At the minute, my mind goes blank. But I think they're there for their personal devotions. So I think as we pick through the Bible, that's the case um, with the Psalms. I think if you want to know more about that, Rob's back in two weeks.
2: (coughs) Fantastic. So it's, it's more about the variety of like why the songs are written. Absolutely. So some
1: are, are God's people singing together about it, and they're songs that they would have sung together. And some of them are, it's a personal response. So the wonderful thing about Christianity um, is it's us together, but it's us individually known and loved and adopted into God's great family. Um, and so therefore, there's times I just speak to Dad, and there's times I say, Wow, thanks, Father, this is wonderful. Like, the example of when I was running with my friend, that was my reflection on that. Um, and there's other times that we do it together. Brilliant. Teaching each other truths.
2: Uh, next question. If what God communicates is glorious, what about natural disasters? How does the destruction glorify God?
1: Yeah, thank you. This, we had, this is where most of our time went outside chatting. I think, I think basically the question is, um, why do bad things happen? is sort of the way I'm taking that. If, if you actually, if you disagree with my summary to that, send, send in another question and it'll appear, and we don't know who you are, so you're safe. And um, Joe, um, this one, Aaron, he can help us with that. Um, so just a couple of things. So one of them, if you look through the Gospels, and I, I tried to find it and I couldn't quickly find it, but there's, there's an incident that Jesus talks about called the Tower of Siloam, And if anybody knows where it is, it'd be really helpful because I'd just like to share with you what Jesus says there. But the gist of it from memory, and I I really want you to look at this for yourself, particularly if you ask this question. Basically, I think it is that Jesus' disciples are with him and uh, this tower has fallen on some people. And so it would have been spoken about and known about in the local area. And they sort of say, you know, why do bad things happen? Or were they particularly bad? Is this God sort of punishing them? And Jesus' response is, is, isn't a, why do bad, thing happen? Why bad things happen? It's more of a, why do good things happen? Um, you remember I shared with you the little bit from Romans about just the very nature of, of, of our hearts, um, if we don't know the Lord, um, is, is well, I mean, we're wretches, really. Now, your question wasn't about people, it was about creation. And ever since, um, the I mean, the beginning of time, our relationship with God is distorted because of the way that we say, you know, shove off God, I'm going to do things my way. Um, but also the very creation itself has been distorted in that moment too. So I, th- I think that's, I'll just try and summarize those two points. One is, why do, <laughs> rather than why do bad things happen, actually, it, it's often I think, useful to think of it. And I think the, the Bible, I think Jesus is doing this in the Tower of Siloam. I'm just going to sort of look and see if anybody nods at me who's on the staff sat here. Um, actually, Jesus sort of pushes us more towards why do good things happen? And then the other is creation is distorted and it's a terrible thing. We see, we see that in our own lives, the way we mess up our own relationships with those nearest and dearest and those further afield from us. Um, but we also see it in, the, in actually the very fabric of the world that we live in. Um, and it's tragic, and it's very, very sad. And I just think it's wonderful when Christians do things to help in those moments and those situations um, to offer, you know. It's, it's no coincidence, is it? that So God knows the world's fractured and broken, but he has people in his world Believers, but also not yet believers, who go and they help in that situation. Isn't that a wonderful, compassionate thing? They're not left on their own. So the Samaritan's Purse is a charity and they go to these places where these things happen and they offer help. I just, I hope that's helpful. Um, catch me, or Rob, uh, catch me at coffee if you want to know more.
2: Cracking. Um, I think we'll go with one more and we'll go with how can we love our enemies if they don't want our love?
1: That's a really good question, isn't it? Um, I think with these kind of things it's always look to Jesus on these things so I shared with you didn't I the little example of as he's been nailed to the cross he says father forgive them they don't know what they do um, it's, it's, it's very difficult <laughs> to love somebody who's giving you a hard time we feel under attack. So if this is you, if you've, if you've sent this in and perhaps somebody in the workplace or in school you really feel is an enemy to you, um, you have my sympathy. Uh, it's very, very difficult. Um, but we go to what Jesus says. And what does He tell us to do? He says, pray for them. They don't know that you're praying. You pray for them. And gradually, what the Lord does is, and you might not want to hear this, but I'll tell you anyway, He changes you. <laughs> Through the suffering that you're going through, he changes you. He changes your heart as you pray to him about it. So you might start off by saying, I don't know, um, uh, Sam was a kid who picked on me when I was at school, so I'll use his name as an example. You know, I might say, Lord, I, Sam is giving me a hard time. He teases me for the way I speak. He picks on me for the way I act. And it just makes me miserable. And I feel like he's actually turning people in school against me and making fun of me and making me feel little. He, he's my enemy, Lord, but you've, you've told me in your word to pray for him. So, so here I am. What's next? Amen. And you just keep going back through that. And the Lord works in your life through that. He will show you scripture. He will provide people to counsel and to encourage you. And... Um, it's, it's often the case, so for me in that situation there, just as I share that with you, what was it? It was about my love of people and wanting to be liked, and actually the Lord will shine a spotlight on that. Yeah, sure, this kid's been out of grot bags to me, but actually he teaches me about, he shines light on it, um, light to my eyes. It makes wise the simple, and he refines me through it and, it, and it's a wonderful thing. So what does Jesus? go to Jesus. What does he say about loving your enemies? It, it doesn't mean birthday cards and chocolates. It means Pray.
2: Perfect. Thank right? you very much for sharing. You're welcome. No, appreciate Ca- that. If
1: you had a question that you were desperate to have answered, um, Aaron's here for it now. <laughs> you could catch me towards the end. Cheers, man. All right. <laughs> Fantastic. Um-